verses uh, 23 and 24 this morning. The word reads like this. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of God. Thank you for that reading. Let's take a moment of prayer before we start in the message. Righteous and Holy Father, uh, we come before you humbly, hopefully humbly. Uh, we ask that we are continually humbled before you, uh, that we know that you are holy, holy, holy. And just to treat your word, speak about your word, is to treading on areas where the angels themselves don't dare to tread. We ask that you give us patience because we need it so badly to understand your word. We ask that you bend our hearts to hear what you're saying and prevent us from trying to bend your word to what we wanted to say. Please be with us through this day and through this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. I have a title up there, Unity with God. We could also add a parenthesis in there, and we could say uh, assurance of the believer, which would be good too. I couldn't help but think that perhaps many of us have experienced this in our lives where we were at school, we had studied for a test, we had taken the test and we thought we did well. And we left the test feeling fairly confident about our results, uh, that fairly confident about those difficult answers, fairly confident that it was the answer C rather than B on that one question. And then you started talking to one of your well-meaning friends who was also confident about the test, but had completely different answers than you did. This happened most, uh, most often for me in, in math classes, uh, where that was at. And so you begin to question what you thought you knew, right? That confidence that you had was quickly taken away just by somebody else commenting on it. He had said something and you're like, well, hold on a second. Is that what I wrote down? Do you even begin to forget what you actually answered on the test? Do you begin to wonder, did I actually answer B or C, or was it 4A, or what was it that I did? Right? You begin to question what you were doing. You lose your assurance of how you did, even though you were confident prior to that. So it's not an exact illustration or analogy, but, we can, but we're trying to get behind those feelings that you have, those feelings of assurance. Of course, John... In this letter, as we've spoken at the end of his life, uh, is seeking, uh, is speaking to believers, uh, Christ followers, uh, at various stages of their, of their maturity in their belief. These, uh, and, and so as 
we go into this letter, we, we want to remember some of those things that John was talking about. Remember, he talked about the Antichrist. He talked about the people that left from that. I mean, this isn't a giant congregation that he's talking to. You know, it's not 500 people or 1,000 people. It's probably far less than that. probably looks a lot like what we're looking at today. Right here. And so when you lose some of those believers, some of those people leave and are starting to uh, give you a false message that is anti-Jesus, as we've talked about, that, that could work on your assurance. Do we have this thing right? Do we understand correctly? If we look at John's letter from the beginning where he's gone, gone so far, we, we, can, we can see that he, he seeks to give to, uh, to not only build up the believers, but to give them assurances of their belief, of what, they're, what they believe in, of the Jesus that they believe in. So it's my, my hope that as we look at these uh, two verses, uh, that you're going to find three things, three details in these about the unity that believers have with God and the assurance that they have of that unity. We're going to see the key to the unity with God. We're going to see the evidence to the unity with God. And then we're going to have, see the assurance of the unity that believers have with God within these passages here. As John read earlier, The first couple words there, uh, this is His commandment. We should circle commandment, and we should say to ourselves when we read that, hey, we've heard this a few times before, and we've actually heard it uh, five times before up until this point in time. He has mentioned a commandment in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, where he said, by this we know uh, by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. In verse 7, Beloved, I am not writing you a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Verse 8, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And then in just before this, in verse 22 of chapter 3, whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments to do the things that are pleasing in His sight. So all these mentions of commandments, we, would, we should say to ourselves, well, this must be important. He said it five times already. He's going to say it again as we get further on in, the, in this book. So it must be important for Him to mention it five times up until this point in time one can almost say that he's reminding them of something. Just like his Lord and Savior, Jesus did with the apostles themselves. He was constantly reminding them. And here's your free, here's your, your, your free, free part of the lesson today was not part of this. Believers always need to be reminded of the Gospel. There is never a time when a believer says, I've had enough of the gospel and I can go on to something else. Must always be reminded of the good news that is through Jesus Christ who died for our sins on the cross. Must always be reminded of that. Should always be preached. Jesus would tell us that. Jesus was constantly reminding them of that. John is reminding them of these commandments of Jesus because we need to be reminded all the time. 
That's how we learn. By repetition. And again, he's right here. This is his commandment. This is the important thing. This is what we should do. His commandment. From Jesus. You remember Jesus. The one who the Father was well pleased with. Who spoke from heaven. The Spirit descending upon Him. Right? This Jesus is the one who's giving this commandment. And these commandments, this command that Jesus gives, are those things where we find unity with God. With the triune God. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Not just knowing the name Jesus Christ. Not just saying that nebulous, well, I believe in God. Well, even the demons believe in God. But they still stay in hell. I believe in God. I've heard of Jesus. Remember months ago, is it months ago? It might even be a year ago, when we were in Mark. I remember a, a message that I gave in there. You know, the, the Pharisees that put Jesus on trial, they knew Jesus. They knew him better than you guys do, better than I do, by seeing him. They would have known his eye color, his skin color, his hairstyle, the clothes he wore, the way he walked. They could have identified him from hundreds of yards away by the way he walked down the street. They would have known what his voice sounded like. They would have known what his hands looked like. They would have said, I know Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe anything that he had to offer. That's why they nailed him to a cross. He wasn't the Jesus they would believe in. He wasn't the Jesus, the only Jesus they would believe in was one of their own making. Not the God-man Jesus. But it's believing in this Jesus. This Jesus, uh, the Son Jesus. The one of the same substance as the Father Jesus and of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, the one that, well, let's just turn there. It's not in the notes. It's Acts. It's close. Let's flip back to Acts. Acts chapter 2. I just love the way, you know, it, it is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, at verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and verse 37. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. This Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified. It is this specific Jesus, the only one in which you can believe and be saved. There is no other way to be unified to God than other than through Jesus Christ. There is no good work salvation. There is no mantra of prayer salvation. There is no hoping for the best salvation. It is only through believing in Jesus Christ who you are saved. And when these men heard that on this day, 
when Peter preached this message in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The commandment is believe in Jesus. Believe in the name of Jesus and all that that name entails. It is the only name of which you can be saved. Go to John chapter, the Gospel of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 3. We're just going to kind of dive into some verses, parachute in on them, look at them. John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus in his, uh, might be in some of your Bibles, it's titled as, as High Priestly Prayer. Uh, this is before, uh, b- before he is taken, right? He says, he, he is lifting his eyes up to heaven. He is praying to the Father. It's only in three, so I'll just start in the beginning. He says, Jesus spoke these things in verse 1, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The only way to eternal life. I, nothing of me putting offering in the offering plates get, gets me eternal life. No going on a mission trip anywhere around the world or even in my hometown gets me eternal life. No going to seminary and getting a degree gets me eternal life. None of that gets me eternal life. Helping an old lady across the street or a young lady across the street does not give me eternal life. Uh, dying in combat does not get me eternal life. The only thing that gives you eternal life is Jesus Christ. And knowing and believing in Jesus Christ. That is singly it. I might not get to the rest of my sermon. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because it is so important that you know that Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved. You will face judgment either with Jesus or without it. And if all you've got on your plate is say, well, I believe in God, you're going to hell. That's it. I mean, I can't tell it any other way. You must know who Jesus is. And he says, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You are on your own if you do not believe in Jesus Christ. And that is going to be a very lonely place for eternity in hell. That's all you got. And it ain't ain't anything. Your good works, your car, your house, your career, your marriage, your family, your Sunday afternoon soccer with the kids, worthless. Like filthy rags blown away in the wind. Not one of those things will save you. Not a single shred of those things will get you one iota of God even turning His face before you. Because listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, God's face is turned away from you. He is not even considering you. The prayers of the wicked, the prayers of the unbelievers are not heard. It says it clearly in Scripture. I saw a thing the other day and 
Again, listen, we are, we're, ser- we're right here on the first page of notes. We haven't even gone three sentences. And I'm sorry I'm on this, but it's so important that, that if I were to die and be struck dead right now, you must know that Jesus is your only way of salvation. I saw a thing the other day where somebody put up and said, well, I'm an agnostic, and I prayed for my mother that, that she would get well, and she got well. So see, even agnostic prayers are heard. No, they're not. If you're not found in Jesus, your prayers are not heard. There is not a single shred of Scripture that says that your prayers as a non-believer are heard. So my plea to you is, if you do not know Jesus, is to get right with your Lord and Savior, the only Lord and Savior, that can save you. Because this is about true life and true death. It's about eternal life and eternal punishment. The amount of sins that you have in your life that you've just done in this morning without Jesus have turned you so far against God that there is no hope for you other than Jesus. There is nothing you can do other than to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be saved. You must know Him. This is His commandment. And the outpouring of knowing who Jesus is. In fact, I'm not even comfortable with saying that. Because he has the conjunction and here, the chi in, uh, in, in Greek. It says, believe in the name of the Son, uh, of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Because if you know Jesus, you're going to love your fellow believers. Right? Even if they don't look like you, act like you, or talk like you, you're going to love your fellow believers. I've said before up here that we will know your true love for Jesus, your true love for fellow believers is how you treat the least of the believers. Scripture itself, it is easy, it is easy for me as a faulty and a sinful man to look up to certain people uh, that, that I look up to in uh, teaching that I had and stuff like that. I've written books that I've gained a lot of, right? It's easy for me to say, you know, I want to, you know, I love that guy. You know, right? But the scripture says that God has chosen the foolish of the world to shame the wise. So it's not how you treat the ones that you put up on pedestals. It's how you treat the ones that others have used to climb up to those pedestals on. How do you treat the least of mine? Jesus would say he healed the downtrodden. At the pool, the man that was stepped over and by, he healed that man. Jesus would have, he would have said, love, when he says love the least of these, he, he actually means love the least of these. <laughs> you know, he's not it's, not, it's not a puzzle. I don't know when people say the Bible's hard to understand, I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of it that's really easy to understand. I mean, I would say the vast majority of it is pretty easy to understand. Uh, you know, in... So when he says, this is a command, we believe in the name of, uh, of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. Right? Believe and know, love one another, essential doctrine. We can say these are the essential doctrines of Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 3. Who are my brothers? Mark 3, 
31 and 35. Right, he just got done teaching on the on the, the strong man in the house. Uh, he is now, uh, his, his the room is crowded, the, the house is crowded, nobody can get in. Uh, he is, his mother and his brothers are standing outside. They think he's crazy. Right, they don't get it yet. Uh, and then, in verse 31 it says, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Interestingly enough, answering them, he said, Who are my brother and my mothers? It wasn't that Jesus suddenly forgot who these people were, but he's pointing to a different truth. He's pointing to unity of believers, family of believers. Right? There are only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and sons and daughters of God, right? There are no grandchildren of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sons and daughters of God, right? And he says, who are my brother and my, uh, uh, who are my mother and my brothers looking out at those who were sitting around him? He said, behold, my mother and my brothers looking at those that were by them, indicating familial or family relationship. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It is so important to remember that. Look to John chapter 15, verse 12. John 15, verse 12. John 15, verse 12. By the way, I'm not saying I'm fully off of the believing in the name of Jesus. I might get another round of that in there, so just warning you ahead of time. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you this I command you, that you love one another. Love one another. Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. You can't have one without the other. You can't have believing in Jesus without loving one another. You must have, that must be demonstrating your life. And remember, if, if, if we look there, right, where the key to the unity of God and says it's the commandment here. That's one of the keys that we have. That love is in the present tense too. So it's a daily loving. It's not like I've loved in the past and now I'm done with that. I've moved on to other things. But it's a, it's a constant of loving your neighbors. It's a mutual love for one another. And so that is one of the keys to having that unity with God and that assurance of believing is, is believing in Jesus. Right? Not like the test where I'm not sure if I got the right answer, but believing in the name of Jesus and all that means and loving one another, loving your fellow believers. So, When we do that, those, those actions that we have, right? That first key 
then we're going to find here, hopefully, the evidence of that unity with God. Starting in verse 24, but only the first, first part of it. Verse 24, it says, Verse 24, it says, The one who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Keeping of the, keeping of the commands of Jesus are key. Keeping of the commands of Jesus are evidence of your unity with God. John was a student of people. I can say that confidently because, number one, he wrote his gospel to people and his letters to people. He had a unique understanding of what believers needed to hear of his witness. He had a unique understanding of what was necessary for salvation. And by unique, I mean that he had the brevity of words to say exactly what was needed at the time that it was needed to be said. He was familiar with doubt that people would have. One can't help but remember the scene in the garden and in the cross. So he knew a bit about believers' doubt. And he knew that reminders needed to be given repetitiously. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. Now, it said, keep the commandments and you abide in Him and He abides in you. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. Jesus speaking, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, go work today in the vineyard. And he, the son, answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. It's not just the saying, it's the doing. There must be that in the evidence that you have unity with God is doing the commandments of God. The evidence that you have believed or do believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior is the loving one another. Is doing those commands that Lord Jesus has given. Now, I'm not saying it's doing it perfectly, but I'm saying you must have evidence. That is the fruit. Jesus himself talked about it in his high priestly prayer that they would bear fruit in these manners. And He will abide in you, and you will abide in Him. And that is an interesting word, abide. Mene is the Greek word for it. 
And the best example that I was given by a professor of mine, uh, I just love this example, uh, and give him the credit for it. Abiding is like this. He said, imagine being at the grocery store with your mother and you're five or six years old, seven years old, and you're in line at the grocery store and the line is long and your mother says, hey, I forgot something. Stay here while I go get it. She says, remain here, because mene, remain or abide, has the same, is, remain is sometimes the way it's translated. Remain here while I go get this thing. I'll be back. Now, do you think when the mother says remain here, she wants her son or daughter to stand in a fixed location as the other patrons in the line go around them like a rock in the, in the, in the, in the river? Or does she want the son or daughter to keep moving with the line, keep going in the way you're going until I return. It's the second one. When we are abiding, we are not passively receiving. We have been given instruction on what to do. We are supposed to remain in that manner and and act in that manner and keep doing those things in that manner until the Lord returns or until we die. By doing those commandments, you are abiding in that manner. You are doing the things that He said to do. Remember, they're commandments, not suggestions. When John says the commandment is to believe in the Son because that's the only way you will be saved and to love one another. And the evidence is to do those things that Jesus commanded. You will abide in Him. You won't be just standing there as everything passes around you. Or like John Weathersby has given the example where you know a child is told to rent up the room, clean up the room. Excuse me, I use the colloquialism if you're not from the local area. Go clean up your room and the child comes back an hour later, did you clean up your room? No, but I read a book about cleaning up rooms and I watched some YouTube videos about it. Right? When Jesus gives the commands, He actually expects believers to do these things. To live in this manner. You're not doing the commandments. You're not doing the things He's told you to do because you're going to get salvation. You're doing them because you are saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, these works have been prepared for you ahead of time. So that the moment you believe that you would do them. So the evidence is that you're actually doing them. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. John 15, 1 through 10. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I would take that back to the beginning of this message and say to you, you see, all those good works you do outside of Jesus are nothing, are worthless. And they're only from your own pride. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. To all the people that say that God is love, yes, there is a true statement that God is 
true love. Jesus loves, yes, Jesus loves. There is no doubt about it. For one does not go to the cross and take on the wrath of the Father for our sins if he does not love. But your fair warning is that Jesus talks more about hell and damnation than he does talk about love. So you need to come to grips with that. And he says it right here. In 7, then he continues, If you abide in me and my word is abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. Prove to be those that, that know me as Lord and Savior. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Eleven, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I didn't have eleven up there, but it should be up there. There is the assurance for the believers, the evidence of the unity with the Father that we have. That evidence by abiding in Him through keeping His commandments. And finally, the assurance of that unity with God. That assurance of unity with God. It says at the end, part B of verse 24, we know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. What a glorious gift has been given to all believers. The Holy Spirit given to us. The third part, the third person of the Trinity given to us, residing in us. The same that was with Jesus when He was enfleshed on earth given to us. John knows that their assurance is fragile, just like the person walking out of the test, all confident at one moment and then downtrodden at the next, second-guessing what they answered. Jesus, well, the Trinity knew from before the foundation of the earth that we would need more than our own ability for assurance. It's through the Holy Spirit that we get that assurance. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to be in 14 just for a little bit. John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. Okay, that Helper is the Holy Spirit. So how long is, is, the, is the Helper with us for a short period of time? No, it says forever. There is not a time that you've been a believer that you have been without the Holy Spirit. 17, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. Remember how John spoke that the prostitutes and tax collectors would gain interest in the kingdom of heaven before those Pharisees would. 
because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Coming in the manner of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I, my Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one. Go to verse 23. Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your your remembrance all that I said to you. Now turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Go to verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, now think about that for a second. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. This is no small work. This is no small power. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, so then brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Assurance of unity here. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I can say that if you are a believer and you are not feeling that testimony in your soul, that you are found as a believer of Jesus, I can almost 100% guarantee you that there is some undealt with sin in your life that is causing that disconnection. Repent and believe in the name of Jesus. We must be in a constant state of repentance because we are always sinning. If we are not taking care to kill the sin in our life, it will take away our assurance. It won't take away our salvation, but it will take away our feelings of assurance. And we will be walking around mopey like that test-taking student who's questioning all the answers that he gave. It says the Spirit testifies to us. It says that we can have assurance of salvation. It says that there is no truth in those denominations that say that you can lose your salvation. Because if you lost it, you never had it to begin with. Once saved, always saved. Christ is a complete work on the cross, what He does. If we're not having that assurance... It is because we're not dealing with some sin aspect in our life that we need to deal with, that we need to repent of. 
that we need to repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit gives us that assurance. Jesus has not let believers alone. He has sent the Spirit to dwell in them, to take up residency in them, to guide them, to convict them, to assure them, to give them joy of the salvation found in Jesus. It is not our activity that gives us that joy or that, that, that just activity doesn't do it. It is being found in Jesus with the Holy Spirit working in us that gives us the joy to do those things. The Holy Spirit testifies to whom we abide in and whom abides in us. Who we remain in and who remains in us. So we could say, John would clearly say that it is not like the test-taking student that it shouldn't be like the test-taking student, wandering around, always wondering, am I saved or am I not saved? Quite frankly, we walk around, we have a book that tells us the truth. All we need to do is open it up. And it will tell us where we stand before a righteous and a holy God. It will tell us that we need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior to be saved. It will tell us that any other thing that you put your faith in is a lie. At best, to chase after those other things is to pile up more judgment upon yourself. To do activities to think that you're saved that are not found in Jesus, to do the good works, is just to pile up more judgment against yourself. Because when you're doing that, you're saying that Jesus isn't enough. You're denying Jesus as your Savior. So when John comes into these chapters, he says, into the end of this chapter, he says, you can be assured of your unity with God by following the commandments, right, that Jesus has given, by believing in the Son, by loving one another. That is your key to unity. Then your evidence of that unity is, is by keeping and doing those commandments that He has given. That fruit in your life that shows that, yeah, I actually believe Jesus is Lord and Savior because He gave me a commandment and that means I need to do it. It's not optional. When we treat it as optional, then it means that Jesus isn't our Lord. We can take it or leave it. But by doing it through that evidence, then we can have assurance of that unity with God by the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that speaks to us in those dark hours of the night. The Holy Spirit, when we cry out, Abba, Father, in times of difficulty, gives us assurance. The Holy Spirit that when we open up the Scripture in prayer and we read it, we find great joy in it, more joy that we find in the Scripture than anything else we could possibly do because it testifies to our Lord and Savior. So if you're feeling as a believer like you're that test-taking student who doesn't have that assurance, 
who is questioning where they're found, I would suggest you read and contemplate in verses 23 and 24 this week. Pray through them. Read them repeatedly. Read them a couple times every day so that you bury them deep within your heart so that you know that you can be assured of your unity with God. Father God, thank you for this day and your word. Thank you for all those who could be here in attendance today. Please help us with our assurance because you know our fragility. You know how we can go up and down in our beliefs. Please help us in our maturity, growing as strong and faithful Christ followers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.